Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. Those of you um, who want to open up your Bibles, you can do it at Titus chapter 2. I've heard it said that unfortunately we as as Christians obviously we're we're far from perfect but often we as imperfect Christians um, are one of the main reasons why people who don't believe don't believe Um, and if we're honest and humble with ourselves we'll admit that is often true Um, very often true because God has the problem in this world that even though he is perfect, he is represented by people who are not perfect. In fact, far from perfect. (laughs) And we end up misrepresenting him um, very often, uh, not just representing him, but misrepresenting him. So I just want to, I just want to read you this, this scripture. And um, I think this scripture in um, Titus 2, I think I've got the wrong heading up, but um, the, the scripture is Titus 2 from verse, uh, 11 to 14. And it, I think, shows us a key to solving this problem that we have of so often misrepresenting God, falling short of his... Um, aim for us. So it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What what is this grace of God that appeared? It's obviously Jesus and the gospel, right? Jesus and the gospel that um, offers salvation to all people. It teaches, it, the gospel, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. And recently in the last couple of years, I've been sort of on a journey of continually rediscovering the gospel and realizing that what the gospel does in my life is a lot more than I initially realized. I initially started off thinking the gospel saves me, justifies me. I believe the gospel and I get born again and I become a Christian. It's the way in. And since then, um, in the last couple of years, I've discovered no, the gospel is not just the way in, it's also the way on. As this scripture clearly says, the gospel doesn't only offer us salvation. It doesn't only save us from the penalty of our sin. This scripture seems to say that the gospel also saves us from the power of sin. The gospel, it says, teaches us or trains us, another translation says, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So the, the gospel doesn't only cause us to be born again and to be justified, to be in right standing before God. You know what the word justified means? Someone said it, it means uh, when I'm justified, it's just as if I had not sinned. It's just as if I had never sinned. Okay? 
Justified means that I'm in Christ, and because I'm in Christ, when God looks at me, he sees Christ. He sees me in Christ, and therefore he sees Christ. And he sees me just as if I'd ne- never sinned, because he sees me in Christ. But the gospel does more than that. It teaches us. It trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live godly lives in the present age. Now, if you had to think to yourself, to what extent has the gospel trained you to do that? To what extent have you allowed the gospel to train you to say no to ungodliness and to say yes and live a godly life? You see, the, the thing that we must realize is that the gospel does a lot more to us and in us than we realize. Okay? We underestimate the gospel, in other words, and what the gospel does in our lives. If you had to estimate okay, what percentage of the benefits of the gospel have you experienced thus far in your life, what would it be? Just try and come up with a percentage. I think for for most of us, it's probably a bit lower than we'd like it to be, if we're honest with ourselves. If we're honest with ourselves, we are not allowing the gospel to train us as much as it can. We are not receiving as much of the gospel as is available to us. And the question then is why? Why do we do that and how do we remedy that? How do we receive more of the gospel? You see, it's, it's so, why do we, in other words, why do we, why do we tend to settle for just enough? Because we, we do that, don't we? We, we? we tend to settle for just enough. I want, to, I want just enough of the gospel to get out of jail. You know, I want to use the gospel as a get out of jail free ticket. <laughs> I want just enough gospel to have the peace of mind that I'm going to heaven one day. I want just enough of the gospel to, to make me feel better and to encourage me and to give me hope. Oh, I want just enough of the gospel to... Um, to encourage me and to allow me to, to experience, to, to, to know that God loves me. But I don't want so much of the gospel that it starts disrupting my life. I don't want so much of the gospel that it starts really changing me and the people around me. I mean, we don't say it in so many words, but we live as if... Often we live as if that is how we feel, with a just enough attitude. You see, one, one of the reasons why we often have a just enough attitude towards the gospel is if we're using God and the gospel as a means to an end, then we'll always have a just enough attitude. But if we see God and the gospel as the ultimate end, then we'll never get enough of, of it and we'll never get enough of him. In other words, I think at the heart of our just enough attitude, there's a form of idolatry, using God to a means, as a means to an end. 
I was sharing yesterday evening um, at Legacy uh, with the guys that, um, you know, if we use God as a means to an uh, end, and not a, we see him as a means to an end, not an end in himself. If we say, for instance, God, I'll serve you if you give me this, then whatever follows the if is your true God. Or God, I'll serve you as long as you give me this. Then whatever ever follows the as long as is your true God. And whenever we're using God as a means to an end, to get something else, something by implication that we want more than we want God, then we are committing idolatry. We're using God as a means to an end. And then we want just enough of God and the gospel to get us what we really want. A nice, well-adjusted life. Children who are obedient and well-adjusted. A life of comfort and not too much suffering. Whatever it may be. The American dream. If we see God and the gospel as a means to an end, we'll always want just enough to get that end. But if we see God as the ultimate end, the end in himself, he's limitless. And the depth of the gospel is limitless. And we'll always want more of it because we'll always want more of him. If we see the gospel as God's giving of himself to us, then we won't have a just enough but not too much attitude. We'll have an attitude of, I want everything, God. I want all of you. You see, the, the amazing thing, and, and this is the encouraging part of what I want to share tonight, uh, this morning. The, the encouraging part of what I want to share this morning is this. There's always more of God to receive and there's always more of the gospel to experience. The only limit is us, our willingness and our capability to receive. And one of the things that limits our ability to receive God and to receive the gospel is that attitude of, I want just enough. Not too much, just enough. I was um, recently reading a, a book, and, and, and the, the, the author of this book, and I mentioned it, it before, um, said that you can own a book in different ways. You can own a book by buying it. You can own a book by reading it, uh, etc. And, and that got me thinking sort of on a, uh, on a train of thought. And I realized that in the same way, um, you, know, you know, even as the Bible is a book, you can, in inverted commas, own it at different levels and own its message, which is, and the crux of its message is the gospel at different levels. So I just want to, I just want to go through a few of them, if you can just put them up on the screen. The first way is you can, you can own the book by buying it, but you can own it without possessing it because you can buy a book and then lend it out to someone else. You own it, it belongs to you, but someone else has it. They, they possess it. Okay? So just owning a Bible is not enough. Then you can own it and possess it, you know. You bought it and it's, it's in your house. <laughs> it's at least on your rack. <laughs> you possess it, you know. It's there, it's yours. But you can own it and possess it without reading it. And there are so many people who do that. Um, and and they, they, they treat the Bible 
you know, somewhat like these, um, like a character in a, in a bad, low-budget vampire movie, you know, who has a cross, a wooden cross, and a Bible next to their bed. And, and when the vampire attacks, they hold up the Bible or they hold up the cross, you know, as if actually possessing it automatically gives you all the benefits of it. As if it's the book itself that contains the power. And, and how, how, many times, how many times do we as Christians do that? How many Christians are there that do that? They, they sort of keep the Bible next to their bed. They never read it, but they keep it next to their bed as sort of a good luck charm. I mean, we all know Christians like that, right? So, so they, 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 they own it, they possess it, but they don't read it. So the next level is actually reading it. You know? and, and when you read a book... You don't only own it, you, you don't only possess it, but you possess, you're starting to possess its content. You're starting to, to own its content. It's, it's, it's starting, the content is coming into your life. What it contains, the truth it contains is starting to come into your life when you read it. But you, you can read it and, and, and not really get it. You can read a book and not really get it. And, and there are many people who read all kinds of books and don't really get the essence of what the book is. And likewise, there are many people who read the Bible and don't really get it. I mean, just a few examples. Um, in John's Gospel, for instance, in chapter 3, you have Nicodemus. He didn't only read the Bible, he taught it to others. And yet Jesus had to say to him, because he said to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus had to say to him, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? <laughs> you've been reading the Bible, but you've not been getting it. In, in the next chapter, in chapter 4, um, in fact, let me read that to you. Um, if you have your Bible, you can open it at John 4, verse 39. Um, just by the way, one of the ways to make sure that you get the, the message of the Bible, which, which ultimately the, the essence of it is the gospel, is to make sure that you don't read it alone. So that's, that's another step. But here in, in John 3, verse 39, it, am I at the right place? 4, sorry, John 4, 39. Um, Is it the right place? No. Okay, sorry, John 5, verse 39. Wrong chapter. John 5, verse 39. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You search the scriptures. In other words, you're reading scripture. You're doing the right thing. He's not saying you're doing the wrong thing by reading scripture. He says you're doing the right thing. You're searching scriptures, but you refuse to come to me so that you may get life. In other words, if... If you, as you search scripture, unless you find Jesus in scripture, you won't find life. 
And Jesus is the essence, he's the embodiment of the gospel. When Paul's talking about the gospel, for instance, in Colossians, he, he, he talks about the gospel in different ways, preaching the gospel. Then he says, him we preach. Jesus we preach. Because Jesus, preaching Jesus is preaching the gospel. Because Jesus is the embodiment of the gospel. But can you see that you can search scripture, you can read scripture and not get it. Not get the crux of it. Not get the essence of it. And, and he's talking here, he says, you, plural. You're reading scripture together. So the next step in, in, in reading is not just reading scripture, but reading it together. Because here's the thing. We can, we can all read the Bible, but different people are going to get different insights into the Bible. See different angles. And, and that has to do with with the, the, the lenses that we have on. Firstly, the cultural lenses, but also just the personal lenses, how we've been conditioned. You see, we do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We don't read Scripture, the world, or Scripture in particular, objectively. We are biased, and we even blinded in, to some extent by how we read Scripture. We're conditioned in such a way that, that our conditioning filters out certain aspects of what we read in Scripture. And because I come, say, from a typical Afrikaner family, there are certain aspects of the gospel that I'm not going to be able to see. Which Mama Joyce or Deneo, who come from a very different culture, that they are going to see. And unless I read Scripture with them, I'm not going to see it. And here were the Pharisees, and they were reading Scripture, and they were even reading Scripture together, but they were only reading Scripture together with people who were exactly like them. Because they were quite notorious for not tolerating people who were not like them. Whenever Jesus hung around people who were not like him, they complained and they grumbled and they said, he accepts sinners and eats with them. You know, look at this guy. Who is he? You know, what is he doing? And, and we all need that. And, and I mean, that's why something like coming to a church service or going to a small group is so important. And it's so important that, that you do this not only with your family who are very much like you, but with people who are very different from you. Even people who are unlike you and people who, who irritate you. It's important that you have some of them in your small group. <laughs> It's also important that you have people who don't irritate you and that you get along with very well. That's also important. They encourage you. But the people who are unlike you and who irritate you, they challenge you. <laughs> and they often challenge you in how you also read Scripture. It's so easy for us to just be like the Pharisees and just surround ourselves with people who agree with us all the time and avoid situations where people read Scripture differently and sort of reason through it and work through it. And, and that's another reason why it's so important, for instance, to do, to do cross-cultural ministry, missions, all that kind of stuff. Why? It's because someone else's culture needs the gospel in a different way than my culture needs the gospel. And when I see how the gospel redeems their culture in a way that my culture doesn't need, I learn something new of the gospel. I might be the one preaching the gospel to them, but I'm learning the gospel when I see how the gospel changes them and changes their culture because their cultural need is different from mine. So not just reading the Bible but, but getting and getting it, but reading it together 
and reading it together with others who are different from us allows us to, in a sense, receive the gospel at a much deeper level. To what extent are you experiencing that? Or have you unintentionally created a spiritual echo chamber by surrounding yourself with yes men and people who are exactly like you and who never challenge you? Then there's another level. I mean, you can read scripture, you can even read it together, you can even get it on an intellectual level, but never reflect on it. In other words, never actually think about how it affects your life. And never ask the question, what does this mean for me? For instance, we, we, we're saying the gospel trains us to say no to ungodliness. I want you to just reflect on that for a moment. Okay? Number one, what is the ungodliness in your life that you need to say no to? Just think about that. Make a little list in your head. Okay? Maybe you have temper problems. Maybe you're impatient. Maybe you tend to be proud. Maybe you tend to be judgmental of other people. Maybe, I mean... The list goes on and on. It could be, you know, whatever, immorality, racism, you name it. What is the ungodliness you need to say no to? Okay, Maybe you've got a list of, you know, a couple of things. Now think, how does the gospel, how can the gospel train you to say? Because, I mean, there are other ways of saying no to, to ungodliness. You can say no to ungodliness just through sheer willpower. That, that was what the Pharisees recommended. You know? Just be stronger. Just be more resolute. <laughs> but how does the gospel specifically train you to say no to those forms of ungodliness that you specifically struggle with? Think about that for a moment. Maybe one of the ways the gospel trains you to say no to ungodliness is that the gospel shows you how much Jesus loved you, that he loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. And, and that the gospel therefore elicits a response of love for Jesus out of you. And then you think about the fact that that ungodliness in my life is ungodliness that Jesus died for. And if I love Jesus for dying for me, then I'll want to say no to that ungodliness for which he had to die. That ungodliness that caused him so much pain and so much suffering. I, w I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to entertain myself with that which cost Jesus his life. And then you're saying no for a different reason. You're saying no, not just, because, not just because you don't want to break God's law, but you're saying no because you don't want to break God's heart. You're saying no out of love. You're not saying no because, well, if someone sees me doing this, losing my temper or you know, watching porn or whatever, then, ooh, they're going to, you know, lose respect for me. You know, my reputation's going to be damaged. You're not saying no. I mean, you can say no for those reasons, 
No, basically out of pride and fear. Or you can say no out of love because I know what this costs Jesus and I know what this does to him. And I I don't want to do that to him. Can you see how you can reflect on the gospel? And by reflecting it, actually bring it into your life and cause it to actually change your life and bear fruit to your life. But you have to reflect on it. We we have to reflect on it together. I mean, to me, that's that's what the crux of what we want to do in small group. Remember our our vision or the way we, we make disciples is through teaching by teaching people to live the gospel, love people, and obey the Spirit. So, so in any small group, we want to, we want to um, deal with people problems, problems that we as people have. We want to find the gospel promises that address them, and we want to experience the Spirit's power to, to address them. So, so sometimes you'll see in small group we take a scripture, say a scripture like, Titus 2, verse 11 to 14, that, that has been preached on. And we're going to say, okay, what, what people problem, what problem that we as people have does this text highlight? What gospel promise does it give to solve that people problem? And what spirit power does, it present, does, does the Bible present to us to, to help us in this? Or what we do sometimes in small group is we don't necessarily start with a scripture. We just start with our lives. Okay, what's going on in our lives? What people problem are we experiencing? What is the gospel promises um, that address those problems? What power does the Spirit provide to solve those problems? How can we pray for one another and minister to one another um, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit in, over t- in order to overcome it? But in all the cases, we are together reflecting on our lives, bringing our lives and the challenges in our lives, the shortcomings in our lives, into contact with the gospel and the power of the Spirit through it. We're reflecting together. But um, you can also, you can, you can own a book and read it and even reflect on it, but only, only read it once. But you can own a book at a deeper level if you reread it. Now, the Bible was designed not to be read, but to be reread. Do you realize that? There are so many little intricate connections in the Bible that it's almost impossible to get it all the first time. And it's intended to be not only to be read, but to be reread. And when you reread it in the context of what you've already read, then you get it so much better. And it's so much. So, 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 uh, at, at a more deep level. And it's, it's as we reread Scripture that we, that we give another step. There's another step in, t- in terms of how we receive it and how we possess it. There are so many th- times that, and, and you've probably had this experience as well, where you've read a passage of Scripture that you've read many times before, and then all of a sudden it, it gives you that gut punch of, oh, Wow, I never saw that. I mean, for some of you, in, in Titus 2, you've probably read it before, but then you read about the grace of God and you realize that okay, it's the gospel that trains us to say no to ungodliness. And, and maybe that was, a, that was a revelation to you of, oh, wow, the gospel does that too? 
I didn't realize that. I've read it before, but I didn't realize that the gospel actually is, is, trains my life. Okay? So rereading it. And then you can reread the Bible, you can reflect on it and so on, without actually applying it. Another level of, of possessing a book, of owning a book, is actually applying it. I don't know if you guys can just put it up there. You see, you understand something not just by grasping it intellectually, but by applying it practically. There's this old Chinese saying, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. I see something, or I hear something being taught, but then I often forget it. But if I see it being modeled in someone else's life, I tend to remember it much better. But if I actually do it, apply it in my own life, I really understand it. And um, you can even take that a step further. Probably one of the deepest levels of understanding something is not just doing it in your own life, but helping others to do it. Teaching it to others. I I don't know if if you've ever tried to teach something, but, but when you teach something, you realize the areas that you don't really fully grasp yourself and you have to dig deeper. And, and people, the people that you're teaching ask you questions and you're like, oh, I never even thought about that, you know. And you think deeper, deeper about it. And especially when you're teaching children. I mean, we have our children and they ask us the... And it's the simplest questions in the world, but they completely stump you. It's like, okay. <laughs> never even thought about that. <laughs> and then to be able to explain it and teach it in simple language that is understandable to a child. If you can simplify something like that, then you understand it at a much deeper level. So, so not only applying it, but helping others to apply it. Then you can apply it once and then think, okay, I've done enough. Or you can continually apply it over and over again, getting into the habit of continually applying it. And not only continuing applying it, but apply it to every area of your life. Do you realize that you can, that, that Jesus wants to disciple you by applying all of the gospel to all of your life? Imagine what your life would be like if you allowed Jesus to apply all of the gospel to all of your life. How would your relationships be different? How, how would you speak differently to people? If you're constantly applying the gospel to your life and allowing God to speak to you through the gospel, won't you start speaking to others in line with the gospel? And as the gospel is changing you and encouraging you and strengthening you, and convicting you, won't that start coming through in your speech and the way you speak to them, to other people? How, how would it change your thought life? If everything you thought was sort of filtered through the gospel, what would be the things that you wouldn't think? Or how would you think differently? Or what would you start thinking of that you wouldn't necessarily usually think of? 
So, we must allow the gospel to train us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to godliness, to live godly lives. And one of the ways of doing that is to get deeper into the gospel. Own more of the gospel. But we also realize that, that the gospel is it, it's, it's more than just a story. It's more than just a truth. At the heart of it, it's, it's a person or persons. It's God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit embodying the gospel. And ultimately, we don't own the gospel. The gospel owns us. Ultimately, we don't master the gospel. The gospel masters us. Or the God of the gospel masters us through the gospel. In other words, we surrender all of our lives to him. Now I want to come back to a question I asked you at the beginning. What percentage of the gospel and of the benefits of the gospel do you think you have received? Let me just ask, is there anyone who thinks they've got more than 50%? That means there's so much more of it to receive. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to I really challenge you and encourage you with this. Jesus died to purchase the benefits of the gospel for us. He already purchased it for us. And he paid so dearly to purchase it for us. Do we really want to leave so much of it unreceived? If it cost him, the one who loves us so much and that we love so much, if it cost him so dearly. Don't we want to be a community that puts on display to the world what humanity can look like if we receive more of the gospel? Don't we want to be a community that shows Johannesburg what it looks like when people, a community of people, are intentionally together, constantly rediscovering the gospel in every area of life. And helping them to rediscover the gospel in every area of life. And another thing that the the gospel teaches us, remember we said that we tend to settle for the just enough sort of attitude and approach when we make God a means to an end? Well, the gospel clearly shows us that when God had to give us a solution to our, all of our problems, he didn't give us something, he gave us himself. In other words, it shows us that only God is enough. And that we shouldn't make God a means to an end, but that we should make God the ultimate end. And then we won't. When we, want, when we always want more of God, there's always more of God to, to have, then we won't have that just enough attitude. So let's stand, and I want you to, just in your heart... I want you to close your eyes for a moment and just just ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit,
what is preventing me from continually dis- rediscovering more of the gospel? Just ask him, say, Holy Spirit, what is preventing me from continually rediscovering more of the gospel? For some of you, it's just simply not having the disciplines of continually not just rereading scripture and, and reflecting on it, but doing it together with a community and making yourself accountable to that community. For some of you, it's maybe just that you read scripture, but don't really reflect on it and allow it to, to cut you to the heart. For some of you, it's maybe because you didn't believe that the, the gospel applies to every area of your life. You didn't realize it. and you, you never even thought of applying the gospel to every area of your life. Okay, whatever the Lord has shown you, I want to encourage you to go and share it with someone after the service or in this week. Someone that you trust, someone that, that you're walking a road with. I want to encourage you just to go and share it with them and say that these are the things that are preventing me from continually rediscovering the gospel. But I want to discover more of the gospel. I want to walk in line with the gospel in more areas of my life. Please help me. Please hold me accountable. Please ask me from time to time how I'm doing in these areas. And then, and then I want, want you to just Meditate on the fact that these gospel truths, these gospel benefits, this gospel grace that trains us, all of that is available to us because Jesus died for us, because he paid for it with his blood. Think about how dearly it is bought. And then as you're meditating on that, how, how much it cost him. And, and remember, it's not just the physical pain and the blood that he shed. It's the the relational cosmic rejection that he experienced when he said, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It cost him more dearly than we can ever imagine. And as you're meditating on that, make up your mind that you are going to receive as much of the gospel as you possibly can, experience as much of the gospel as you possibly can, Because that's the best way to honor Jesus' sacrifice for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.